Ladies, welcome. Beruchim anim sa'im. We have uh, a lot of work ahead of us today. It's because we have a special Shabbat coming up. There is a double header again. Besides the weekly parasha, which is Shemini, it is also called Shabbat Farah Aduma, which is a very special reading where we uh, remind ourselves of the special mitzvah that was done in the times of the Bet HaMikdash, where they would purify themselves with the ashes of the special cow, mixed with some water, sprinkled by the Kohen, and that would uh, allow them to enter the Bet HaMikdash area so they could bring the Korban Pesach, and it would purify them from corpse Tum'ah. The reason why we read it this week is because now that Pesach is coming, we want to remind ourselves of what they used to do in the olden days. They used to purify themselves before the Hag. So it's Shabbat para Aduma. Now, although I'm not obligated to do what I'm going to do today, consider it as a, uh, you know, a chesed. Uh, we always like to try to find a connection between the two readings. So is there exactly the Parashat Shavua and Parashat Paraduma? Although there's, there's nothing that's quite obvious that hits you between the connections, but... I think I found some uh, important correlations. In the beginning of the parasha, we read that it was on the eighth day. That's why it's called Parashat Shemini. The eighth day of the inauguration of the Mishkan. The Mishkan was inaugurated, let's say, according to most of the opinions, on Rosh Chodesh Nisan, which will be next Shabbat. Rosh Chodesh Nisan is the anniversary and that was the eighth day of the uh, inauguration because they started seven days before. And that was the day that Aharon became Kohen Gadol for the first time. That's when they inaugurated the Mizbeach. They brought the sacrifices. And one of the sacrifices that they brought was Egil. Aharon had to bring an Egil. Now, when we hear the word Egil, the first thing that comes to your mind is Heta Egil the sin of the golden calf, and then she says that the korban of Aharon was an egel to atone for the sin of the egel that he had a part of. Now, of course, he wasn't, uh, God forbid, involved in it in a federal crime level where he didn't worship Abu Dazara, but he did collect the gold and he did put it in the cauldron and he did mix it, although whatever happened after that was out of his control. It came out by itself, but nonetheless, Aharon needed a the Jewish people would also bring a Sa'id Izim Lehatat. And the Kliyakar says the reason why they had to bring a Sa'id Izim Lehatat, a goat, was also to atone for Heta Egil. It's not for today to discuss why Aharon had to bring an Egil and they had to bring a Sa'id. We'll discuss that another time if you're interested to look at the Kliyakar. But the point is, we see that on this day, the Jews as well as Aharon received atonement for the sin of. It seems that was one of the themes of the day. Well, if you know anything about para aduma, although it's a hawk, we know that it's one of these inexplicable laws where far be it from us, 
far be it from smarter people than us, much smarter people than us, even including King Solomon, the wisest of all men, he surrendered his knowledge when it came to the chokmah or the secret of para aduma. He admitted, it is distant, which means he didn't even have a remote understanding of it. Fine. But at the same time, that she brings down from Rabbi Moshe Har Darshan that the famous mashal of the mother or of the baby that was in the palace of the king and the baby soiled the floor of the king. And the, uh, the king said, who did this over here? Let the mother come up and clean up the, uh, the, uh, the dirt of the child. So the same thing that God says, let the mother, which is the para, the para aduma, let the para come clean up the mess of the egil, which is the child. Oh, it's very nice. Although I don't understand it, but it's very nice. Because it's a nice mashal, the para and the egil, they're related. The para is the mother, and the egil is the child. But I have no idea how the para... Exactly, what does it mean? So the, because you found a nice correlation that the mother come clean up the mess of the child. How in the world does para aduma clean up the mess of heta egil? Heta egil, I understood, was avodah zarah. So therefore what? Para aduma by sprinkling somebody that atones for that? This needs understanding, but I don't need to explain that to you yet. All I need to show you is that just like in Parashat Shemini, the beginning of the Parashat talks about atonement for the sin of the Egel by the sacrifices that were brought. Paraduma is the same thing. Paraduma also's purpose is to atone for Eta Egel. So the connection is very, very clear on a superficial level, of course. And now we need to explain it on a, a deeper level. But both parashiyot are talking about atonement for the sin of Chet Egil. In Parashat Shemini, it's in the sacrificial level, where they had to bring their atonement korbanot in order to uh, appease God for the sin of the Egil. And Para Aduma does the same thing, somehow. That introduction, I open up Parashat Para Aduma. Parashat Para Aduma is in Parashat Hukat, if you're following. That's in the book of Bamidbar. By the Bera Dunai and Moshe Velaharon Nemor. Zot Hukata Torah Shisiva Dunai Demor. This is the Hukav, the Torah, which is the Parah. The Bera El Bene Israel. Speak to the Jewish people. Viyikhu Elecha Para Aduma. Oh, here it is. God tells Moshe. He doesn't say, take a Parah. He says, V'yikru elecha. What does elecha mean? To you. What does it mean to you? The para doesn't belong to Moshe. The para belongs to B'nai Israel. This is not something that's personal to Moshe. What does it mean, V'yikru elecha para aduma? Now, I'll tell you what I thought at first. If you remember in Parashat Tetzaveh, when they were presenting the oil, the olive oil for the Mishkan, the Pasuk said, It also used the word Elecha when it came to the olive oil that was presented. And if you remember, the Ramban said, that, What does it got to do with Moshe? Why did they have to bring the oil to Moshe? It's not his oil. The oil belongs to B'nai Israel. And the Ramban said, 
bring it to Moshe for inspection. Because the oil has to be made from uh, zach, means pure, without any dregs, without any uh, um, sediment. It has to be first press. So therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu was uh, quality control. So therefore, let them bring it to you first. He was the mashkiah. And if it passes your scrutiny, then you can give it to. So I thought maybe the same thing. Let them bring the paraduma to you. And you're the great rabbi, and you'll uh, inspect it and see that uh, all the laws are uh, you know, being followed. And then if it's kosher, if it passes your quality control, you put a sticker on it, then you give it to the Yibbenei Israel. That could be a simple explanation. It's got to come through you first in order to make sure that it is indeed kosher for usage. That's a simple explanation. I accept it. Rashi comes along, by the way, here, and talks, Rashi's talking. Rashi introduces that Moshe Rabbeinu actually has the copyright and the trademark on Para Aduma. All para adumas will be called para she'asa Moshe. It's called his para. We have a new name now. It's not called para aduma only. It's called para aduma shel Moshe she'asa b'midbar. And therefore, God is telling Moshe, "Elecha, this para has your, uh, you know, or registered trademark. It's the trademark. It's called Moshe's uh, para. All right." So be it. I'm not too sure what the significance of that is. What's the difference? You think Moshe Rabbeinu wants kavod? Moshe, the last thing he's looking for is for glory. What does he care? Who you call the para aduma? Call the para aduma the para of Aharon. Call it the para of Hur. Call it the para of, uh, of Miriam. No. Moshe, this is your item. It's going to be called para she asa Moshe Bamidbar. What does it mean? So I did see a few explanations that they try to explain it. Kliakar. The Kliakar says that the para kapara alavona egel. Like we learned, the para dumas kapara for the sin of the egel. Very nice. Kliakar says, What did Moshe Rabbeinu do when he came down from Har Sinai and he saw them worshipping the Egel? Besides, he broke the tablets. I know that. Then what did he do? He took the egel and he pulverized it. He grounded it up into dust. Moshe Rabbeinu began the tikkun of kaparat eta egel by destroying it. Now, to the credit of B'nai Israel, they didn't, they didn't fight Moshe. They were happy that Moshe Rabbeinu came back and they had no problem that he pulverized it. And therefore, the beginning of kapara of a sin is to get rid of the sin. And who began getting rid of the sin? Moshe. And the kapara ends 
with Moshe Rabbeinu bringing the para aduma. So therefore, it starts with Moshe, and it ends with Moshe. So the Kliyakar says, Ukshem she Moshe hitkil bekapara, kishe sarafa egen, bayitkhon oto dak le'afar, and he pulverizes it into uh, ashes. Kach yigmor kapara. He will finish the kapara. Shegam ha'gmar yikra al shemo. That means just like the uh, a beginning of the kapara is called on Moshe's name, when he burnt the het, when he burnt the, the, the calf, so to the end of the kapara will be on Moshe's name as well. And that's what the Rashi means. Not, not that they're naming the egel, the egel of Moshe. It means the atonement for het egel will be on Moshe's name. Because he... He saw it through from beginning to end. Okay, very nice, Kliyakana, I don't say no. I'm just giving you stuff that I saw. I'll tell you when you start to have to pay attention. This is just introduction of different opinions so that when I want to present what I want to tell you today, you'll appreciate it. But I'm glad to show you some other variations to how we resolve these, these issues. I have over here a rabbi called the Maharal. The Maharal wrote a sefer called Gur Aryeh in Parashat Hukat. He says, The para is called on the name of Moshe. Why? Ah, I just told you that nobody understood the real. Uh, understanding and the depth and the secret of Paraduma, even Shalomo, but there was one person that understood it, Moshe Rabin. When God gave the Paraduma to Moshe, he also gave him a private shiur, and this is very interesting because anything that God tells Moshe, Moshe tells the people. By the Ben Adonai Moshe, Lemor. But the only thing that God told Moshe that Moshe Rabbeinu had to withhold, that he did not, which means when the people came to Moshe and they told him, Moshe, did God explain you the paraduma? He did. Oh, beautiful, explain it. Now this I can't. It's the only part of Torah that Moshe Rabbeinu kept under his hat. He did not share it. So Moshe Rabbeinu knew it, but. So says the Maral, Lefichach, Tala paraduma b'Moshe. So therefore, it calls the para aduma of Moshe because you only call it when it's done with kavanah. Everybody else who made the para aduma, they made it, but they didn't know really why they're doing it. They didn't understand it. The only one that really understood what he was doing when he did it was Moshe. When you're doing something, you have to try to understand what you're doing. So he says, now even though, now Moshe didn't really make the para aduma per se, he gave it to El Azar to make. So then the question of the maral is, so therefore, why are you calling it the para of Moshe, El Azar, when he made the para, he didn't have any kabana, he didn't know the real reason. So he says, Rakshana Asayida nitla b'mitzvah hayodeya davar elamitato. Which means like this, what I think the Maral is saying is like this. We have a uh, tefillah that it's in the Sidur. 
before we pray Shahrit, we say, we are now about to pray Tefillat Shahrit. And we are including it now with Tefillot, all the Kavanot. The Kavanot of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the Kavanot of the Arizal, the Kavanot of uh, the uh, Rashash, and the Kavanot of all the Kabbalists and all the Tzaddikim that knew the Kavanot of this Tefillah, which we don't know, but we are connecting our Kavanah to their pathway, to whatever they intended. We want our Tefillah to follow that, that same journey. Uh, there's a Sefer that I have here, and he writes from the Sefer Berkat Shemuel, he quotes from the Arizal, Shekol mi she'enu yodaya lechaven biyud chet berachot shel tefilat shemona esekin tekunam. If a person doesn't know all the kavanot of the Amidah, he should think before he prays the Amidah, Yiratzon, let it be the will of God that my tefilat should connect to all the kavanot of the men of the great assembly and all the rabbis subsequently. There's a concept that we can connect our tefilot to the earlier tefilot of people who knew what they were doing. So says the Maharal that anybody that made the Para'aduma, they were making it al-da'at Moshe. They were saying, listen, although we don't understand it, but whatever Moshe understood, we are using his kabana and our action. And therefore, every para that was made is called Paratoshel Moshe because they were relying on the sechel, they were relying on the brain power and the intellect and the logic that only Moshe Rabbeinu knew. So therefore, every para is called paratoshel Moshe, because he's the only one that has understanding. Understand what I'm saying over here? And I'd like to, I'd like to add, if you look at the Siftah HaChamim, right by us. He says a bigger hindush. He says, Moshe Rabbeinu, who was involved in making the first Paraduma in the Midbar, they saved some of the, a lot of the ashes of the original Paraduma of Moshe. Now what are they saving it for? So it's not the Smithsonian Museum over here. Why are they saving some of the ashes of Paratoshel Moshe? So he says, Leparot Acherot. They saved it for the subsequent Parot. Why? Shemekedeshin Memena. Rotzel Omar. Bechol Parot. Hayut Silichim Learev Meparatshel Moshe. Rambam will tell us that from the time of Moshe all the way to the end of the second Beta Mikdash, there were nine parot adumot. Nine para adumas. Rambam then tells us that Ba'azat Hashim, the tenth para aduma, exactly. It's, it's beautiful to see his language. He says the tenth one will be when Mashiach comes. And Rambam of course, wants Mashiach just like we want it. And he writes, The Asirit Yaase Hamelech Mashiach Mehera Yigale. Amen. That's a thousand years ago he was saying Mehera Yigale. 
that Bezat Hashem Mashiach should come. Could you imagine a thousand years later we're still saying Meherai Galeh? But <laughs> exactly. We're much closer than the Rambam is to the Mashiach, that's for sure. The odds are that we'll see it in our lifetime, Bezat Hashem. So he writes that there were ten paradumas, there were nine paradumas, we're waiting for the tenth. That's why we always get excited when we hear on the news, oh, they found the paradumas somewhere in Lakewood, or they found one in Israel, and everybody gets excited because they know once they reveal the tenth one, then Mashiach is going to be on his way, and they're going to find it soon. The point is, big hadush, that every paraduma had some of the ashes of Moshe's para. They had to mix Moshe's in there. That's what Sifta Achamim says. Rotsin Lomar, Bechol parot, Hayu Sirichim Le'arev Meparat Shel Moshe. Ubazem Mekadeshin Ota. Wow. And that's what made the subsequent para adumaz kosher. It had to have a piece of the original. Ve'ilav Hache. And if it didn't, Pisula. Wow. Hadush. It's a deal breaker. We still have some of this, so the I'm sure we do. Because according to the Sifteh Hamim, if you don't mix the effort of Moshe Rabbeinu, it's Pesula. And he says, kulan shel Moshe. That's why the Paraduma is called on Moshe's name, v'yikru elecha, because all the parad aduma has the same ingredient. And what's the ingredient that they all have in common? Efer parashul Moshe. So therefore, every para, although it's going to be a different cow, but it's going to have the element of paratoshul Moshe, and therefore every para aduma you're going to be able to call ze paratoshul Moshe. And that's what they're learning from this pasuk. Elecha. From the Elecha, we're learning that Moshe, you are not only involved in the first one, but you're involved is going to be in all of them. Very nice. And I am asking a simple question. What in the world is going on here? If I may ask a simple question like that. But he have to put the ashes of Moshe Rabbeinu in the Paraduma. Well, the secret ingredient over here. The paraduma is a cow, you burn it, you add some water, you mix it. The Torah gives us the ingredients, the hisab, they're very simple. All of a sudden, we have a new hadush over here. That if you want the edges of the paraduma to be holy and to be effective, you gotta have from the original. Now, what is so special? What is so important? And the Torah is going out of its way to say, and therefore, all para adumas will be called on your name. And I am trying to understand why. Why is it so important that Moshe Rabbeinu has a presence in every para aduma? Now if we can answer this question, then we will reveal a great secret. In order to explain this, I'd like to go to Something in Sefer Shemot. Be honest with you, I don't think too many people know this. I don't know why when we read these Pesukim, I don't think we have really an understanding of what was happening over here, but when you read simple Perusha Parashan Rashi, you see something incredible happened over here, and it's neglected. 
So I'm reading in chapter 33 in Shemot, the book of Shemot. This is after the people did the Egil. They did the golden calf. This disaster. Vayomer Hashem el Moshe, God says to Moshe, Emoril b'nei Yisrael, atem amke she'orif. Tell them that they're a stubborn people. Well, I, I, we knew that. Rega echad e'ereb b'kid b'chav b'chaliticha. All I need is one second, God says, and I'll obliterate them. And then it says, the Jews had all these spiritual crowns on them. From Matan Torah, God took them. Those crowns of glory and light, whatever they represented. They had to forfeit their edyam, their crowns, that they got from Har Chore, from Har Sinai. They went from a very high level to a very low level. But God wanted to destroy them. And now we read the Pasuk. Ladies, you tell me how you learned this pasuk. Um Moshe, I know that Moshe. Um Moshe yikah et ha'ohel, and Moshe Rabbeinu took the ohel. He took the tent. Venata lo mechutz la'machane, and he put the tent outside of the camp, far harhek min ha'machane. Far from the Mahane, from the camp. Bekaralo, Ohil Moed. And he called this tent the tent of meeting, Ohil Moed. Adonai, whoever wanted to seek out God, Yetse el Ohil Moed will go to this tent that Moshe Rabbeinu set up outside the camp. What's going on over here? What is this? What is this tent? What is this oil mo'ed that Moshe Rabbeinu set up after the Egil? Is it the Mishkan? No, it's not the Mishkan. Ladies, ladies, hold it. The Mishkan was not built. The Mishkan was built much after. What, what is this tent that Moshe Rabbeinu is building and he's putting it far from the Mahaneh? He's calling it oil mo'ed, the tent of meeting. So you don't have to open up the Kabbalah. All you have to do is read Rashi. Rashi says, Umoshe meoto avon bahala. From the sin of the Egel and on, yikach eta ohel, he will take the ohel, which ohel? His ohel. His tent where he lived. Look at this. Moshe Rabbeinu originally lived where? In the community. He lived with the people. Where was Moshe Rabbeinu stand? On one of the streets and in the neighborhood. He lived with Bnei Israel. You wanted to go to Moshe? He said, he lives right across the street, two, two blocks away. Everybody knew his, his, his address. He was local. After Heta Egel, Moshe Rabbeinu says, I'll see you. I'm moving. Wow. He moved. And where does he move? Rashi says he moved. Harchek. Harchek. Alpayim Amah. Now, Alpayim Amah is 2,000 Amah, assuming an Amah is like two feet. So he moved a mile, about a mile away from the people. Now, again, they didn't have smart cars or bicycles or things like that. So if you're living a mile away, that's far. Where's he going, Moshe? What happened? Anybody kick him out? Anybody evict Moshe Rabbeinu from the Mahaneh? Why all of a sudden he said as if he got frustrated, said, I'm out of here, I'm taking my tent, 
and I'm moving uh, away. So that she says, hey, I'll tell you why. Amar, he said, the Jewish people, after the sin of the Egel, God excommunicated them. God was angry at them. That's called Nidui. That's when God says to the people, I want to have nothing to do with these people. So God says, so Moshe Rabbeinu says, well listen, God is the Rav. I am the student of God. And the law is that if the Rav excommunicates, the student also has to follow suit. And therefore, they are excommunicated from me as well. And therefore, the law of excommunication is, you cannot live in the proximity of the people. And therefore, instead of telling the people to move, because it would be too complicated, so Moshe Rabbeinu says, you know what, you stay here. I'm going to move. And therefore, you're on your own. Wow, what a... I don't, I don't know if I've ever paid attention of this ramification of Chetayegel. That besides all the other stuff that happened, they lost the, the, the closeness and the proximity of their rabbi. Now, for practical purposes, if you wanted to go visit Moshe, oh, you had to make a, a trek, as the Pasuk says. He called his tent, meaning his new house, it was called the tent of meeting. Meaning, anybody wants to meet with me, or meet with God, Look at the Targum over here, if you want to get a, an appreciation of what happened here. He explains it a little, uh, a little deeper. You up to it? You want to hear Targum? <clears throat> he built his tent, Mabara, but it's outside. From the camp. He distanced it. From the people. They were put in Nidui. They were excommunicated. And how far did he put it? Tren alpin amin. 2,000 amma. About a mile. Vahava kanile mashkan bet ulpena. And he named it the mashkan of, of teaching, the, the, the tent or the, the house of, 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 of education. Now watch what he writes. Vahave kolman dehadar beteufta. And who? Ever was interested in making teshuvah? That's the language. Teshuvah, repentance. Beleb shelim, fullheartedly. Kodam Hashem. So you know how you made teshuvah? I guess what he means teshuvah for the sin of the Eger. What other sin did they have over here? So the Targum says, and whoever was interested in making a full fledged repentance and atonement for Eta Eger. We go to this tent of meeting of Moshe, that was outside the camp. He would confess his sin to Moshe. Amazing. This is confession. I don't know when you have to make a confession to the rabbi. I thought you have to make confession to God. They have deal. By the other religions, they go to the priest. And they come and tell the priest all the sins they did. 
And over here, I know it's not the same thing, but you want to make Teshuvah, you go to Moshe Rabbeinu's tent, and you confess. I don't know what you have to confess to Moshe for. The sin of the angel was against two. I'm your sin against two. Against God. No problem. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, what do you want from me for? Go to God. No, you want to get Teshuvah? You got to come to Moshe's tent. And you have to confess in front of Moshe. Ah, this is strange word. Umatzle al Umatzle. Umatzle means to sully, to pray. They would have to pray for forgiveness. Umatzle, to pray again. Umishtabekle. And then Moshe Rabbeinu would say, Azak Baruch, you're exonerated. He'd give him a stamp. Baal Teshuvah. You're, you're clean. Who's next online? Then the next guy would come. Hey, Moshe. I made a sin of the egg here. Please forgive me. And Moshe Rabbeinu said, pray to God. He make a prayer. Bing. He gives him a paper. And I'm like, I understand over here. What, what is this over here business? I never saw Teshuvah like this. Teshuvah can only be done if you go visit Moshe Rabbeinu. And you have to confess in front of him. And you make some sort of prayer, whatever that is. So I'd like to... Bring in a, a beautiful uh, understanding based on something that I saw in this paper over here. This is a paper that fell from heaven this week. This is Perkeavot. I know it's not the Perkeavot season yet, but we can't wait. Perkeavot chapter one. And the Mishnah over here. In chapter 1, in Mishnah number 4. Yosef ben Yo'ezer, Isser Eda Omer. Yehi betcha betvad lachachamim. Which means your house should be a meeting for hachamim. Your house should always be open for the rabbis. You should always open your house up for meetings, for different uh, conventions that the hachamim have to get together. Committees of some sort. Whenever the rabbis need a house, to meet with people, your house should be the house where you're always welcoming the rabbis. And you should uh, follow in their footsteps. And drink their words with thirst. So the Mishnah is saying a few things here. Number one, it's telling you they should always be in your house. And then it's saying you should respect them. Two things, they should be in your house. Now, when I read the Nishtai, I said, well, obviously, if you're opening your house to the hachamim and you're allowing them to have laissez-faire, to come in to have their meetings, obviously you respect them. I don't think the Mishnah needs to tell us that, you know, you need to respect them. It's obvious. It's the guy who's not inviting the rabbi to the house that you have to tell him to respect. What is the connection between these two things? So the rabbi called Ya'abetz, Ya'abetz. On his perush in the Mishnah, says an amazing human truth. A truth in the human uh, nature. Human nature is that we take for granted things that we get used to. Things that you get accustomed to, so you take that for granted as if that's, 
you know, it's part of life, and therefore it always must be, and always should be, and therefore, you know, we don't even appreciate what it is because we're so familiar with it. Now, in America, they say that familiarity breeds contempt. That's a different love. That's already, that when you become so familiar with something, it becomes contemptuous, which is, you know, becomes already disgusting to us. We don't even want to, I'm not talking about that yet. I'm just saying that we take things for granted. So he says, because it's human nature to take things for granted, we have to put a fence against that. So he says, for example, when they used to go into the Beit HaMikdash, they used to enter one door and exit a different door, different gate. Says the Ya'abetz. It wasn't a fire code either. Why did they have to enter one gate and uh, leave a different one? So in his beautiful language he says, Pen Because if he's going to leave the same gate that he entered, he gets used to it, and now the walls of the temple will be like the walls of his house. And now already he's going to treat the Beit HaMikdash with less awe and respect because oh, I saw this door already. Yeah. It's like when you go into your house. You don't make a big uh, you know, a surprise when you walk into your front door. You see it ten times a day. So therefore even seeing something twice as the Abitz, already it loses its, uh, its, its luster. It loses its uh, you know, attraction. You know. In the beginning, the first time, oh, oh, there's a certain... Uh, you know. Um, Certain shine that it has. But already you saw it twice? Eh, I saw this already, big deal. So therefore he says, in order to keep that uh, newness and freshness, the door you entered and the door that you leave should be different. So far so good? Then he comes along and he says, and that's why, who needs to be told to make sure that you respect Hachamim, the guy that's always in the presence of Hachamim, the one that always has the rabbis in his house, and the one that always opens his home for Bedvad Hachamim, you know what's going to end up happening? He gets used to them, he sees them every day. And because he sees them every day, so what happens? Eh, because my friend, hey Rabbi, pat him on the back, how you doing? Come sit down over here. And then you start to become uh, palsy-wowsy with them. And now you start to become their pal. Now you start to become, you know, casual with them. Because you see them. If you see the rabbi, you know, shul once a week. So, oh, hacham, bozido, you give him kavod. But now you see him every day. So there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a risk, says the Ya'abits, that that will lead, maybe not to contempt, but it will lead to familiarity, which will lead to some... Uh, taking for granted what the Tamid Hakam really is. So therefore the Mishnah has to say, But don't forget, Don't let the Bedva'ad compromise your relationship with the Hakamim. It still should remain on a very, very, you know, high, exalted level. A beautiful explanation of Ya'abetz. And then he gives in my opinion, the classic example of this. The classic. These Hadushim are so beautiful. These are revelations of the Tzaddikim. 
they open our eyes to look at these episodes that we read since we were kids in such a new way. And therefore, once they give us their secrets and their key, they open up the whole sugya for us. They open up the whole story for us and turn it in a different way. And that unlocks many, many avenues for us to understand. And here he gives us a master key to understand the sin of the Egil. Which I always thought it was a sin primarily against God. But says the Rav, this over here, don't kid yourself, this over here was a sin against Moshe. Because what happened? The people weren't looking to replace God. They came along and said, this man Moshe that took us out of Mitzrayim, he's not here anymore. And therefore we need a new Moshe. And they came and they replaced Moshe with an egel. Instead of maybe praying to God and saying, God Almighty, it can't be. Bring back Moshe. We want our leader. We love our leader. Moshe Rabbeinu took us out of Mitzrayim. Moshe Rabbeinu defended us. Moshe Rabbeinu saved us. And all of a sudden, they get into a little crisis. And they forget Moshe. And right away, they want to replace him with uh, some, uh, you want to call it a spiritual image, whatever image you want to call it. But it's not Moshe. This was considered a disrespect of Moshe. And you know what the Yabet says? You know where that disrespect came from? Because they were familiar with Moshe. They were with him for so long in Mitzrayim. And now he took him. So you're with him every day. So you take for granted Moshe. And you say, ah, Moshe's like everybody else, God forbid. Moshe he's with us. He's the rabbi, but he's with us. So... You don't see the beauty of him. You so don't see the greatness of it. You see a uh, Moshe that you are close to. Listen to his language. The sin of the Egel was Moshe lived in the community. Moshe lived with the people. They saw him every day walking in the street. They saw him walking up the block, walking up the boulevard. They saw him walking in the Midbar, back and forth in his tent. Ad Shema'asubo. Until he says, not only did they become familiar, but it brought contempt. Ma'asubo. Ve'amru aser lanu Elohim. Oh. So now, aser lanu Elohim. Now when Moshe Rabbeinu comes down, now you need kapara. And you know how Moshe Rabbeinu is going to bring the people to kapara, the people that didn't appreciate the great leader Moshe? I'm leaving. I am officially leaving the community and I'm moving a mile away. That is the tikkun. Now if you want to come for my consultation, now you have to walk all the way outside the camp. And now the people say, wow, we used to have Moshe Rabbeinu right over here. He was down the block. He was right next to us. What did we lose? 
That's the tikkun of the egel. And the egel that came along and said, okay, Moshe's not here. What do we mean, Moshe? We can replace Moshe. We can replace Moshe. So Moshe Rabbeinu came back. God said, listen, I forgive them. Salahti. But Moshe Rabbeinu, you have to get forgiveness from him because you offended him as well. You didn't appreciate him. And therefore, the first thing Moshe Rabbeinu did, he changed zip codes. And you know what? Like the Targum said, the people had to go to Moshe's tent for Teshuvah. And how do you get Teshuvah? To walk to his tent. By walking to the tent of Moshe, what are you showing? We value you. We respect you. Moshe, we miss you. And therefore, we walk all the way to the rabbi's tent. The Mibara, Mibara outside the camp. And we confess our sin to Moshe. We had to ask Moshe for forgiveness. God forgave them for his part of the Eger. But you, do, you offended the tzaddik. And then we needed to make a special trek to the tent of Moshe. To Moshe, Atati, Abiti, Pashari, to you. And they had to pray. Please, Moshe, accept my teshuvah. Moshe, I accept. And then the next one comes. Moshe, we don't know what we were thinking. We wanted to replace you with an egel. There's no replacing Moshe Rabbeinu. Please forgive us. I walked all the way a mile just to come see you, Rabbi. Moshe Rabbeinu said, fine, I forgive you. Next. And therefore this was a tikkun for B'nai Israel for the Heta Egel. You following? Oh. Now it's very good. When did Moshe Rabbeinu finally move back to the congregation? When did he move back? Hashem told him eventually, okay, Moshe, enough. Move back. Anybody know when? You don't need Kabbalah. All you need is Perush Rashi. Rashi says in the same chapter, chapter 33 in Shemot, in Pasuk 11, Veshav ila Mahaneh. Pasuk says, Veshav, he came back. Why did he come back? Oh. Moshe lived away from the community from Yom Kippur, from the day he came down to give the second tablets. And God said on that day, I forgive them. But Moshe Rabbeinu said, they still did what they did to me. And therefore Moshe Rabbeinu moved. And when did he return? On the day that the Mishkan became inaugurated, which is the beginning of this week's Perashah, that's when Moshe Rabbeinu came back. So therefore there's a connection between the two Parashayot. The Parashah of the Egel reminds us what? Of how they disrespected Moshe. And as a result, Moshe moved back away from the people. And Parashat Shemini, which is also talking about the sacrifices they brought for the atonement of the golden calf, tells us they were atoned, not only for what they did to God, 
But what they did for Moshe, because it was on that day, the eighth day, that Moshe Rabbeinu finally moved back to the people because the people received the tikkun. Now I understand. The head of the Egel was that we forgot Moshe. And now God says, Bring para aduma. Bring para aduma. And you know what the para aduma is going to do? The para aduma is going to have an atonement. You know how? Because when you do the para aduma, what does every para aduma have to have? A piece of Moshe inside of it. And therefore, this is the way you will always remember the tzaddik and remember Moshe, and you'll never forget him. God says, para aduma must be called para shel Moshe, because the egel was forgetting Moshe. And para aduma, God says, anytime you're going to make one of these, make sure you sprinkle some of the ashes of Moshe. Not that we need the ashes of Moshe, but we need the people to remember Moshe, because that's the sin. Not to take the tzaddikim for granted. Not to take the achamim, not to take the gedolim for granted. The great tzaddikim that we have, because we have them and we have access to them and we have ability to, to, to communicate with them. So we say, this is the way it is. We have them. Baruch Hashem, it's, it's, it's here. And as a result of it, maybe we are a little lax. And Paraduma reminds you, you cannot take even any tzaddik in any generation for granted. Or the Mosul Moshe Rabbeinu you cannot take for granted. And then when the tzaddik is taken away from us, like we lost great tzaddikim this week, oh, then we start to have to make introspection. Introspection is that we cannot take any of our tzaddikim lightly. We cannot take any of our tzaddikim because it's not for granted that the tzaddikim will always be with us. And specifically, the tzaddikim are taken away from us on Paraduma week. The Paraduma week, we're atoning for that sin of not giving the right respect for the tzaddik Moshe. And Paradumas says, yeah, you better tone. You're going to make nine Paradumas. Add Moshe Rabbeinu's ashes into that Paradumas. And I will even say further. I will even say further. That Maimonides that I quoted to you about the ten Paradumas, listen to what he says. This is an idea I saw from Rabbi Schlesinger. May this be well. He said, read Harambam. Betesha parot adumot na'asu mishinitztavu b'mitvazu ad shecharev bet bayit b'shiniyah. They read nine paradumas from the time of Moshe till the second temple. Till the second temple was destroyed. Rishona asa Moshe Rabbein. Okay, Moshe Rabbein was the first, as we know. Shiniyah asa Ezra. Wow. The second one was not until Ezra Sofer. Ezra was in the second temple. And then, Vesheba me'ezra ad hurban abayit. That means, eight out of the nine para adumas were in the second temple era. That means, Moshe Rabbeinu's para lasted all the way to the second temple. And then what? They started to have to make another para, another para. Unless, unless you tell me, maybe because there was more tum'ah, People started to get more tamer, therefore they needed more cows. What, what, what's the reason for this? Why all of a sudden in the second temple, 
Moshe Rabbeinu's cow ran out. I'm sure they had a little of the ashes to mix it in. But primarily they needed to make not one new one. Eight new ones to replace Moshe's. What happened? So he says, beautiful. He says, what happened in the second temple? He's up into the second temple. The Jewish people were loyal to the Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu. You had Yoshua ben Nun, and then from Yoshua ben Nun you had all the times of the judges, the Shofetim, and you had prophets, you had the kings. These were all generations that were still traditionalist and loyal to the Torah of Moshe. And therefore, as long as they were loyal to the Torah of Moshe, the Parah Aduma of Moshe was still in existence, the original one. But what happened in the second temple? You must be aware. Entered a new faction into Judaism. The Tzedukim. And you know what the Tzedukim were? Yeah. These, these were imposters. These were Jews that came along and they rewrote the Torah. They were revisionists. And they came along and they said, we have a new Torah and we have new interpretations that are not based on the traditions of Moshe. And now they came along and took every law and they reinterpreted it in their modern way. It's really an archaic way, in their reversed way. And they came along and introduced a secularized version of our Torah that has nothing to do with Moshe Rabbeinu. They forgot Moshe. They neglected him. The Tzedukim is a form of Hetayegel. They came along and said, Moshe Rabbeinu's Torah, we don't need that tradition. We have our own tradition. And therefore, specifically during the Second Temple, where that philosophy became very prevalent, what happened? Moshe Rabbeinu's para aduma, so to speak, finished. That's an indication as if they forgot Moshe. But of course, they had to make new para adumas. And in every new paraduma from Ezra on, they had to add a little of Moshe Rabbeinu to remind the people, don't forget Moshe. Although the winds of modernism now of the Tzidukim are trying to forget our master and teacher. But we mustn't forget. And the same thing applies in our generation. In our generation, outside of the great members that came to the class today that are still traditionalists, that follow the Mesorah and the tradition of our fathers and grandfathers, but there are those that come along and want to make a revise, a new and improved Judaism. And they want to make new, new ideas. They disrespect not their father and their grandfather alone. They don't disrespect 2,000 years of history, but they disrespect our master Moshe. And therefore, when Mashiach comes, he's going to bring the final para aduma. And yes, they're going to find where those ashes of Moshe are, somewhere in the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, and that is a team. And they're going to have to dig them up, and they're going to come along and tell the people, Zichru Torah Moshe Abdi. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget our master Moshe. And that's the connection between Parashat Shemini and Para Aduma. Both have the element of atonement for Heta Egel. In Para Aduma, we learn about the sin of the golden calf, that the Jews not only disrespected God Almighty, but they said, we don't need Moshe. Everybody's replaceable. And Moshe Rabbeinu, as a result, said, 
good. I'm leaving. Now maybe you'll appreciate. You don't appreciate something until it's taken away from you. And now the people had to go visit Moshe, like the Targum says, and say, Moshe, Hatati. And they prayed. And Moshe Rabbeinu said, fine, you're forgiven. Now I feel, not, not that he needed to feel appreciated, but the people needed to appreciate Moshe, the tzaddik. And then Moshe Rabbeinu, after everybody came to visit him, a mile out of the camp, which is Alper he moved back, like Rashi says. And once he moved back, the atonement for Chita Egel was done. So both parashiyot talk about the atonement. The para aduma and vahiba yomishimini are two sides of the same coin. And the lesson for us is this week we lost of Chaim Kanievsky, Gadol Ador, Sarah Torah, as they called them. It reminds us that we can never take our Gedolim for granted. When we have them, we have to appreciate. Kambinsiona Bashaul writes in his book that when you're making the Berachav Refa'enu, which is the prayer of healing, you're allowed to pray for family members in Refa'enu, for direct family members. You can add their names in. But if you're praying for general people, you can only add their names in Shema Kolenu. General people, Shema Kolenu. Family members, Refa'enu. But he said, a Tamir Hakam and a Gadol Ador, he's related to everybody. That's considered close family. He's mentioned in the Fa'inu. That shows us the, 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 the level of respect and reverence that we have to have to the Gidolim. They're considered our family, close family. Then we have to pray for our rabbis. We have to pray for the tzaddikim. We have to, and when we have them, don't say because we have access. Therefore, it's something to be uh, uh, taken for granted and therefore disregard. On the contrary, your house should be open to Rachamim. That you should have always a connection with them. But don't forget, says the Abetz. Still, and that is the great tikkun and the great musar of not only Cheta Egel, but Para Aduma Vichu Elecha. Has to be called the para of Moshe. So everybody will remember not only the para, but more importantly, they'll remember Moshe Rabbeinu.